in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, he and another friend of mine planted a church there a few years ago. They're, they're a few years ahead of us, but really a lot, very similar to us in, in the stages of kind of where they are, just, just advanced a little bit. Uh, and Billy not only is a pastor in Fayetteville, whom I know just through that, but also we worked to get together uh, in RUF. I was an RUF campus minister at the University of Texas. He was a campus minister at Rice University, so we knew each other there. But it actually goes back even further than that. It was uh, my sophomore year in college. No, my freshman year in college, uh, I think, that I, my sophomore year, your freshman year, that I met Billy, um, and we have been friends ever since. That is just five years ago. Um, and so long, long-term friendship with uh, Billy and Ashley and their kids. Uh, they have come to hang out with us, and really we have the privilege now of hearing uh, from God's word from Billy Crane. So if you'll come, Billy, thank you for being here. Good morning again, and uh, thank you all so much for letting me be a part of the service today. And uh, um, we love the McCollums, you know, after my family. Uh, they're they're my, some of my favorite people in the whole world, and y'all are, I'll just tell you, you're really blessed to have them here, because they're awesome. And all the stories you hear about Derek, they're mostly true. They're mostly true, so... You should ask first before you start spreading them around. But, um, but uh, today we're going to be looking uh, in Romans, Romans chapter 3, 21 through 31. And uh, at my church, we've been going through Romans. So this is actually a sermon I had the privilege of preaching at our church a few weeks ago. And what this passage begins is a section in the book of Romans that is focusing on the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification by faith is a revolutionary truth. It's a life-transforming truth. In fact, it actually is a truth that during the time of the Protestant Reformation transformed Western Europe and we still feel the impact of it today. And just to, uh, we're not going to be breaking down justification by faith through this entire um, sermon, but I just want to give you a definition of it. And essentially what justification by faith makes clear to us is that you are not saved by your efforts. That the reason that you can stand before God and not be struck down and that He receives you as as His child is because of the work of Jesus Christ. And justification is that when we receive Jesus' work by faith and say, I'm a sinner, I need Him, He is my only hope, this glorious reality happens. God forgives us of our sins and gives us Christ's righteousness. He puts our sins on Christ who died for them on the, died for us on the cross and He gives us Jesus' perfect life record and says this is now yours. It's a legal act. In fact, justification is a courtroom term. And the picture is that you and I are standing before God and He is our judge and He declares in that moment that I'm going to make you innocent. I'm going to make you righteous because of what my son Jesus has done. And the role changes and He goes from being a judge who is there to condemn you, to a father who welcomes you into the family with open arms. Because when you become justified, as the Bible says, that's what it means to experience justification by faith, you're also adopted. Alright? So we're going to be looking at the beauty and the glory and the goodness today that we, that we receive because of this work of justification by faith that was accomplished by Jesus and that we receive by faith. Uh, Please join with me. Uh, Well, not join with me. Listen as I read God's Word. 
But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness and the pre- at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what, becomes, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and that it is true and that it is powerful and that it is powerful to change lives, even change our lives. And we pray that today you would use your word to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story, a true story, about Elijah and his servant. Uh, there was a king who did not like them. His name, he was the king of Aram. And the problem was, because Elijah was a prophet, he was receiving words from the Lord, words from the Lord. He was taking that word to the king of Israel, and because of that, the king of Israel was able to uh, escape and fight against the king of Aram. And so the king of Aram could not destroy the king of Israel. And the king of Aram was sitting around one morning, or one day, with his uh, counselors and said, this has got to stop. We've got to find this guy and put an end to it. And someone looks around and they find out that he is, that Elijah and his servant are hanging out in Dothan. Not Dothan, Alabama, but Dothan near Israel. And so he says, I'm sending an army after him. And he sends an army with chariots and horses, and those are the tanks of the day. So they send an army with tanks to go take care of these two guys. And in the middle of the night, they surround the city. And in the morning, Elijah's servant wakes up, opens the door, walks outside, and he goes, "Uh Uh-oh. Elijah, we're in real trouble. He sees all the armies, all that army surrounding them. And he says, we are trapped. Elijah, what are we going to do? And Elijah stays calm, and he tells his friend, it's going to be okay. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. And he tells him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he was able to see that surrounding that army that was coming to get them was an angel army sent by God that was coming to protect them. And in that moment, through Elijah's prayer and through that angel army, Elijah and his servant were delivered. And actually, at that moment, the conflict between the king of Aram and the king of Israel ended because of what the Lord did. These people who thought, this servant who thought that he was so trapped and so helpless that, he, that, he was, uh, that there was nothing he could do, didn't realize that God had brought deliverance in that moment, even though he couldn't see it. 
And that's really what's happening at this point in the book of Romans. Uh, If you've read Romans before, you know the first three chapters of this book, Paul spends time hammering home one huge truth. And that's this. You're in trouble. You are in big trouble. I don't care how great of a person you think you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how bad you are. All of you are desperately in trouble because you don't meet the standard that God has set. Your righteousness, your goodness is not enough. It will never be enough. There is no one righteous, not even one, it says right before this. And you're just, I feel just like Elijah's servant. I walk out the door and I look around and go, what am I supposed to do? How do I get out of this mess? And Paul has an open your eyes moment in verse 21. And it starts with these words, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And what he's saying is, you see how bleak it is? That there's no righteousness of yourself that's available to help you out in this situation? But now, there's something God has done to rescue you and me from this terrible situation. And that is the good news of justification by faith. And that's what this passage is introducing that Paul is going to expound for the next two or three chapters. And so I want to look today... At the good news of justification of faith. That justification is by faith and the gospel is good news for all time. It's good news for you and good news for all humanity. I'm going to warn you, for those of you who like to watch the clock, I'm going to spend a considerable more amount of time on the first one than the rest. So if you start to panic when I say point two, it's going to be okay. Alright? It's going to be okay. Alright, so point one. Uh, good news for all time. And as I said in that first part where it talks about how uh, there's a righteousness from God which the law and the prophets testify. And Paul wants to make it clear that this promise to forgive people of their sins and give them a righteousness not their own through faith in Jesus Christ was always God's plan and always God's solution. He's always been planning for this day for Jesus and even in the Old Testament this is how God operated. Y'all remember the story of Adam and Eve, where they rebel and sin against God. And God meets them in the garden. And God is coming to bring to, to speak what their judgment is. Now, if I was running the show, what I would say in that moment is, hey, you guys really messed it up. And if you want to be a part of my family, it's time to up your game. Alright? It's time for you to get all in because uh, this rebelling against me stuff is not going to work. And what does God say? He tells Adam and Eve that there is going to be a descendant of Eve, a seed of the woman, who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. He's going to come and make everything right. The burden is not on you to fix this huge mess. We move forward to Genesis 12 and 15 where God is talking to Abraham and promising him that he's going to be a blessing and that God's going to bless him and that there's going to happen, something's going to happen through him that's going to impact and bless the entire world. And it says that Abraham believed this and God credited his faith as righteousness. And then God steps in and says, I'm going to show you how certain it is that I'm going to promise this by having a covenant, creating a covenant with Abram. And he does the covenant in such a way that says, I will guarantee that all these promises will take place. We move forward again into the Old Testament. And we come to the time of David. And in the time of David, God begins to promise David that he's going to have a son, a descendant of his, who will be a king who will reign forever. 
He will be a great king. He will be an awesome king. He will be a righteous king. And it says that he will deliver his people through his righteousness. And in... And in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses, uh, verse 6, it says that the people, when they see Him, are going to call Him the Lord our righteousness. That this King is the one who meets our needs for righteousness. And at the same time throughout the Old Testament, there's this promise of this righteous King who will rule in righteousness and deliver in righteousness, but also a suffering servant. A suffering servant who will step into the mess of our lives and will bear the weight and consequences of our sin. He will suffer in our place. He will experience the judgment from God that we are to experience for our wrongs. In Isaiah 53, and this is just reading from multiple points in that chapter, it says, uh, But he, talking about the suffering servant, who is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear witness to their iniquities. All the law and the prophets point to this righteousness. In fact, Jesus says in multiple places in the gospel, the law and the prophets point to me. I am the answer. I am the solution to all the problems that you face. And I, I just I want to point out a couple things that Paul says about uh, says about what Jesus has done in this passage, where he says in verse twenty four, he describes Jesus' work as redemption. He says that we are redeemed, and redemption is the act of saving or rescuing someone from some evil coming against them or some evil they have committed. And that is what Jesus has done. He's rescuing us from the evil we have committed in our own from our own sin and from the sins of others, and from the evil consequences of what sin has brought about, the brokenness in this world. And it also says in verse 25 that Jesus is a propitiation. And what propitiation means, it means that God's wrath and anger has been satisfied. Instead of pouring out His anger and wrath on us, He pours out His anger and wrath on Jesus. Now for some of you, that sounds a little weird. There's this God who's really loving. He's loving, but He's really angry at us. And so He's got to punish us. But He's not going to punish me, but He's going to punish His Son. What is this about? Now, I just want to say, if that sounds strange to you or weird or offensive, that you need it. We need a God who hates evil. We need a God who is going to look at wrongs in this world and say something has to be done about this. If you were to meet a judge, if you were in a courtroom and there was a judge who had a murderer, a known murderer before him, who showed no remorse for what he had done, and the judge said, you know what, I'm going to let him go because I'm so loving. We wouldn't call that a loving judge. We would call that an evil judge. And because of God's character, He cannot allow wrongs to go unpunished. When a sin is committed, when a wrong is done, it must be dealt with. And that's the way we can look at the injustice and the wrong in this world, and we don't have to take actions in our own hand in in the sense of taking revenge, or if we can trust that the Lord is going to bring about justice. He will deal with those wrongs. And so we need a God who's just. We need a God... Who's just, who's just, but we also need a God whose justice has been satisfied. And because of Jesus, God's justice is satisfied. And we also need this 
because for ourselves. Because we need to know that there's a God who will no longer be angry with us. If Jesus just died on the cross for my sins today, but everything else in front of me is, is still something he can get mad at me about, then every day I'm going to walk, wake up wondering, is today the day that God lets loose on me? Have you ever worked with someone who you don't know what mood they're going to be in when they wake up, when they show up at work? Have you ever worked with someone like that? I had a boss like that once. He would not leave me alone. He was always mad at me. Every time he walked into my office, I would just, just, you know, just totally tense up because he was coming to either um, berate me for something I didn't do or, or blow, out, blow something out of proportion that I did do. And I, I never knew what to expect. I was terrified when he walked into the room. And the few times that he actually said something nice or encouraging to me, you know how I received those encouraging and kind remarks? With total suspicion. I mean, this guy's just setting me up. He's buttering me up and he's going to just kick me in the rear in just a few minutes. And I don't want any part of it. And uh, his posture towards me made real connection and friendship with him impossible. And what you need to know is that because God has punished your sins on the cross, that they have been dealt with and given you His righteousness, His posture towards you is not one of, let's get our act together. His posture is one of a loving Father who looks at you and says, in you I am well pleased. That doesn't mean He's not continuing to work on you. Doesn't mean that there's not things that He wants you to do different and to change in. But his, his, he, you are no longer in need to earn God's favor by your efforts. You are His. And He loves you. And that's what justification by faith reminds us. And I, I, I talk about this, I'm talking about this in detail because this is the good news. Okay? This is the good, this is the good news, Genesis 3.15 from the beginning. And this is the good news today. And I say that because if you're like me, then you're always trying to find good news from someplace else. There's a lot of good news out there that the world is selling. And, and just to give you a couple of examples, I'm kind of the guy that like buys into the traditional, um, the traditional good life thing. If I'm honest with you, what I believe about life uh, in the practical ways that I live is that in the good life you grow up, you get a good job that pays enough money so you can live comfortably, you get married, you buy a house, you have some very well-adjusted kids who love you and think you're great. They play sports, they go to good schools, and then they go to a good college, and then they get married and start doing the whole thing over again, and I help them do it. That's what I've spent a lot of my life trying to get done. That is good news, right? That's what I'm putting my hope in. Now, for some of you, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not like, hey, you know, you're like, hey, it's not about money, it's not about having a great job, but you're kind of, I, I want the good lifestyle. I want to be in a place where I can do what I want, where I can be in a place that's beautiful, like New Braunfels, and enjoy this. I want to be, um, you know, involved in the community and help out. I want to use my vote in the right way. I want to love my neighbors and the people around me without getting too much into their business and just accepting them just the way they are. And that's the lifestyle you want to live. And if I could live that way, if I could have kids that are healthy and good people and I'm healthy and good, a good person then that's the good life, right? That's the good news that I'm striving for. And you know what? There's not necessarily evil things in either of those visions of good news. But the problem is, is that they're not enough. They're not enough. And they're not enough 
um, because they never deal with the problem that makes this world such a mess. And that's what the cross does. The cross deals with the fundamental problem of mankind, which is man's rebellion against God. Because, it, because what happened when Adam and Eve fell is that in that one break, that one fracture, it, it just fractured out into the world. So that it impacted me and my relationship with God, my relationship with myself, my relationship with, my, with others, my relationship with the world. So that everything it feels and experiences the effects of this brokenness. It's like a tsunami. Okay? I don't know, I'm not a geologist, so if I mess this up, you can come and tell me. But, but what happens in a tsunami is there's an earthquake out in the middle of the ocean. And, and for us laymen, that seems like a pretty good place for an earthquake, to be honest with you. Like, it's not on land, there's nobody around, it's on water, I don't think the fish are gonna mind too much. Uh, the nearest land is somewhere between, you know, a couple thousand feet to maybe a mile below. And yet, when those tectonic plates shift, it causes a movement of water that's so strong and forceful that when it hits the land, it destroys everything in sight. And that's what the fall has done. It's not something small. It's, well, it's, not, it's not something small and contained, but it's this event that goes out and pushes out into the world and destroys and breaks everything that comes in its path. And in order for that to be dealt with, you have to go to the source. You have to stop that break. I had a friend who bought a rental house in another city. And uh, he'd seen it on the pictures and walked through it. Um, and, but there was one problem with the rental house. It had a leak in the roof that was causing damage to the kitchen. The water would come through the roof and if you walked in there, there were holes in the ceiling in the kitchen. And um, there were water stains all over the walls. And so he called in a repairman to come over and to fix the problem. And the repairman came into the house, went into the kitchen, looked around and said, I can fix this. And he patched the holes, and he painted the ceiling, and he painted the walls. And he sent pictures to the owner, and the owner passed them around and said, Man, look at my beautiful ceiling. And the guy left. And the house was beautiful. And he thought, let's get some renters in. And then about two weeks later, it rained really hard. And you know what happened to that ceiling? It got destroyed again. The kitchen was ruined. Because they never dealt with the hole in the roof. Because that's the problem. That's the problem that's making all this stuff on the inside look wrong and uh, it makes everything, uh, that destroys everything else in this house. And what God is doing at the cross is that He's, uh, that He's come to fix man's heart. When man's heart has been healed, when our heart has been healed, it allows us now, instead of fracture and brokenness to come out of these relationships, it allows us to move out into our world and bring shalom, which is peace, which is the healing and blessing and goodness of God into the world that we live in. That is what the cross has brought. It's brought healing to us and to the world. And that's why it's good news from the beginning and from now and forever. So first, like I said, justification is good news for all time. That's the good news we need to put our hope in. That God has healed the brokenness in us. All right. Point two. The good news, the justification is good news for you. Because you are now friends with God, because there is nothing that you have to do to earn His friendship, it radically changes your life. Now, some of you live in guilt and shame and fear. 
You live this way because of the things you have done. You, you see the wrong things you've done. Maybe it's a lifetime of just little things that drive you crazy, or there's some event in your life that you go, how could anyone ever forgive me? I have hurt people so badly. And the reality is this. You are guilty. You really have done terrible things. You really did hurt those people. But the good news of the gospel is this, that the cross makes it possible for those things to be forgiven and healed. That is the good news. Some of you live in a world of constantly trying to meet expectations. Maybe it's your expectations. Maybe it's God's expectations. Maybe it's the expectations of your family. And you, and you live this way and you work this way and some days feel better than others. And you come to a point where you just go, I just can't do this. I am not enough. And the reality is this. You are not enough. You aren't enough. You aren't enough enough to live up to your standards, the world's standards, God's standards, anyone's standards. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this. God has made you live up to his standards in the person of Jesus. Because when you have put your faith in him, you are united to Christ. And everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. Jesus' prayer life is now your prayer life. Jesus' honoring and respecting of his parents is now your honoring and respecting. Jesus dealing with difficult and hard and terrible situations the way he dealt with them. When God looks at you, he doesn't see how you are so disrespectful and mean and ugly to those people around you. He sees Jesus' perfect work of righteousness and says, That's my girl. That's my boy. I love them. That's you. Now maybe some of you don't live that way. Maybe you don't live feeling in constant guilt and shame or feeling like you're not enough. But you just know there's something not right in my world. There's just not something right. There's something not right with me. I don't know what it is. I'm uneasy about it. Sometimes it's like a whisper in my ear that there's something wrong. And sometimes I'm walking down the street and somebody's shouting at me, telling me, you are an awful person. What is your deal? Who could ever love you or care about you? And what that is, is the results of the brokenness that's in your heart. And the gospel meets you and heals you. And changes and transforms you. And Jesus says, come to me and let me minister to you. Uh, there's, a, there's a hymn what we've been singing in church a lot lately, and I, I love it. It's called, Come As You Are. And I'm just going to read a few verses from this. And it says, come out of sadness from wherever you, you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who've strayed. Does anybody feel that way? Hopeless, strayed? Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. Jesus makes it possible for you to come to the Lord just as you are. And He accepts and embraces you. And one of the things it tells us in verse 27 about justification by faith is it frees us from boasting. It says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. 
Why do we not need to boast anymore? Why do we not need to live comparing ourselves and saying, hey, look how much better I am than this person or how good I was? It's because we don't need our efforts anymore. We don't need to try and prove to God and ourselves and the world how great of a person we are. And what's amazing also is the opposite of boasting is true, of not needing to boast is true. I don't need to loathe myself. I don't need to hate myself for all the stupid and terrible things I've done because they have been covered in Christ. And I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to live worrying and wondering, will people find out if I'm a sinner? Will people find out if I really mess this up? I don't have to live that way. I can be honest because I am a sinner. And Jesus forgives me just the way I am. I don't know if you've had this experience in your life. I can't help but think that probably most of you have. And this experience is that there's some friends of yours. Uh, They're a couple. They've been married for a while. They're they're friends. They're good friends. They're people that are peers of yours. Or maybe even those that that are a little older than you that have been mentors. And you keep in touch with them. And you get the Christmas cards. And things are going great. And then one day you find out that she's leaving him. Got up one day, said, I can't take it anymore. It was terrible. And we go, uh, what? What just happened? We know them. Like, what happened? And you realize that this had been going on forever, where they've been miserable and that they have been mean to each other and sinning against each other and doing stupid things, and yet they could never tell anyone because they were afraid to be honest about what was going on in their life. The gospel allows me to go to someone and say, Hey, man, there is a mess in my life right now. I am just dropping the ball with my kids. I have just made huge mistakes. Will you walk with me? Will you pray with me? Will you help me? Will you meet with me? I don't have to hide anymore because forgiveness is possible in Christ. But not only does it make it so that I can be honest about my sin with others, but it also, and I think sometimes for us in the Christian community, this is the harder one. It makes it so that I can be a safe place for people to share what they're struggling with. That when someone comes to me and says, man, I am just doubting my faith. Or you know what? My marriage is just in a mess. Or even I did something at work this week that was I might get fired for. It was unethical. It gives us the freedom to not go, how could you? I can't believe you're such a sinner. It allows us to go, okay, I hear you. It doesn't mean we go, oh, it's no big deal. We might go, that's a huge deal. That's a really big deal. But you know what? Because I've been forgiven, because I know how big of a sinner I am, I know Jesus can meet you there. And I'm willing to walk with you wherever this takes you. Wherever this takes you, I'm with you and Jesus is with you. And it might be a really hard road, but I can be there with you because I know the grace that I've experienced. The gospel, the cross, justification by faith is good news for you. And my final point is this. And this is a shorter point. The gospel, the good, uh, justification is good news for all humanity. In verses uh, 22 and 23, Paul, is talk, uh, Paul makes it clear in 22 and 23 that all have sinned and all can receive righteousness for believing. In 28 through 31, he has this discussion about the gospel is for, for both Jews and Gentiles. And that's a very Jewish way of saying everybody. Because for Jews, there were Jews 
and then everybody else. And that's who the Gentiles were. All the rest of you people. And Paul is making it very clear that the gospel is for all mankind. And I just want to leave you, um, I want to answer just a couple of objections that some people have when we hear someone say that the gospel is for all humanity. And the first is, is that sometimes we we live in a world that believes that you don't need Jesus to have a world... You don't need Jesus to have a world where kindness, generosity, peace, justice, and mercy can reign. We can have all those things without Jesus. And and my answer to that objection is no. No, you can't. Because we're made in God's image, people who don't know Jesus, and if you don't know Christ, I know you can do this, you can experience love and kindness and mercy and give love and kindness and mercy. But because of that brokenness and that fracture that we talked about earlier, the only way that that can be sustained is if there is a king of righteousness who's ruling and reigning in both your hearts and in the world around us. We need this king. We need him to rule and reign. And sustain these things. Because without him, it's just going to turn into madness and chaos. And we're going to suppress all those good things. And the, last, and the second objection is that I know I need him. I know I need Jesus. But do others really need him? I mean, if you're like me, you kind of look around at the people you know who don't know Jesus. And you go, they seem to be doing pretty well, most of them. In fact, some of them look like they're doing a lot better than me. Uh, It feels kind of judgmental to walk in and go, Hey, I've got the solution to your problems. It's Jesus. Bam. A lot of them are going to go, I didn't think I had any problems. But the reality, and, and I will tell you that when I was the campus minister at Rice University, that this was actually the biggest issue for my students who came to, to school who were Christians. The kids who came to Rice as Christians had grown up in places that said, stay away from non-believers, they're dangerous, they're not safe, you don't want anything to do with them. And they would come to Rice and they would meet the nicest Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Mormons and agnostics and atheists that they've ever met. They have never, they would tell me, I've never met anyone so loving and accepting as my LGBTQ friends. They are more accepting and loving than anyone in my youth group. What? You're trying to tell me there's something wrong with these people? I want to be like them. They're so nice and kind. And what I want to tell you about the world and why the world needs Jesus is yes, there are things wrong about everybody. We all need Jesus because of that brokenness. And even if people are telling you that they, they're fine, they're really not. Okay? They need that gospel and that grace. But what I want you to realize and what I've had to realize is those people who are beautiful and wonderful and have such great things about them, they need Jesus because they're so wonderful and because they've been made in God's image. The only way that they're going to be who they were meant to be is if they were in the hands of their master, in the hands of their creator, who was there to make them become who they're meant to be. I'm going to tell this story. It's a little bit of a long story, but it's a good one. Um, When I was growing up, my grandmother lived a block away from us. And in Granny, that's what we called her, in Granny's living room was a little, uh, sort of a, a small violin. Not a big one, but a small one. All violins are small compared to other instruments. But uh, it was a small violin. And every time we would walk into the den from the time I was in elementary school up, Granny would say, don't touch the violin. That belongs to my father. We called him Gramps, my great-grandfather. Belonged to Gramps. And when your oldest brother came here when he was little, he picked up the violin and broke the bridge off of it. Don't touch the violin. And I'm telling you, every time I walk into the living room at Granny's house... 
I think, don't touch the violin. But one day, when I was in college, much older, my mom said, hey, I need you to go down to your grandmother's house and get something. Here are the keys. So I let myself in, because Granny wasn't there, and I walked into the living room, and I thought to myself, I'm going to go touch the violin. (laughs) I want to see what's so special about this thing. So I pick it up, I pick up the violin, and it's got the bridge broken off, and I look at it, and there's those um, sound holes, they're little, like, little S's or F's, and I look in this little violin and inside it says Stradivarius 1806 and I go whoa oh my gosh whoa Granny has a Stradivarius violin in her house that's my first thought my second thought is Granny let a four year old pick up a Stradivarius violin and bang it around the house like what is going on now if you know a Stradivarius violin is one of the most famous and finest violins in the world. And I have to tell you that it's probably a replica. We th- I was hoping it was real, but it's like they made lots of replicas of Stradivariuses. But in that moment, I thought we had a Stradivarius violin in our house. And the point of this is, is a Stradivarius violin is not meant to be in the hands of a four-year-old who's going to use it as a tennis racket. Okay? A Stradivarius violin finds its meaning and purpose and sings in the way that it was meant to sing and play in the hands of a master. When you hand that violin to a woman who knows how to play a violin, she can make it into what it was meant to be. And that's what all humanity was made for. All humanity is meant to be in the hands of the Master so that He can make them who they were meant to be. So that He can step in and heal those breaks because your friends who look like they have it all together really don't. They are hurting as much as you are and probably even more because they don't even think that there's real hope out there. They're still going for the good life, good news. Or that my kids will love me, good news. Or that I'll make enough money, good news. They don't know the real good news. My friends, this good news... It's for everyone. You're meant to be in the Master's hand. And that's why we tell people all over the world about Jesus. And that's why we tell people all over our neighborhoods about Jesus too. God wants us to open our eyes and go, what needs are out there? What can I do? How can I start praying that doors would open so that someone would allow me to share with them the most precious gift I could possibly give them, which is Jesus Christ. The good news of justification. And I just want to... It is one that is good news for all time. It is good news for you. And it is good news for all humanity. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the one in whom our souls find rest. You are the one from which our salvation comes from. You are our only hope. And we thank you that you did all that was necessary to rescue us from the troubles around us through Jesus. We love you and we need you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.